Welcome to Coaching Culture, the podcast where we discuss how we can use sports and not let them use us. I'm JP Nervin, the founder of Thrive on Challenge, and the mission for this podcast is to connect leaders in athletics to help us create a transformational culture by building leadership and character. Now let's get started. All right, welcome to episode 21. This is the three-part series, The Truth About Motivation, part two. We are talking about autonomy and mastery, two of the three really critical components of creating an intrinsically motivated environment. And we're really breaking down many of the concepts presented in Daniel Pink's book called Drive, where he really talks largely towards business aspects of how to help uh, create an intrinsically motivated environment rather than an extrinsically motivated. If you haven't had a chance, be sure to check out, out, out episode 20. In episode 20, I really kind of go into the dangers of uh, carrots and sticks, a uh, rewards and punishment environment, and also just being very goal-centered. Now, so we're going to focus on the intrinsic motivation, and the first part of doing that comes down to autonomy. Leadership isn't about, and I think coaching isn't about becoming the accountability police. And that's often how I think many of us coaches feel. We feel like we got to always be holding people accountable, holding them to those high standards. What great leadership is about, it's about creating an environment where people are free to be at their best. I love this quote from Daniel Pink. He says, it requires resisting the temptation to control people, and instead doing everything we can to reawaken their deep-seated sense of autonomy. So we have to stop focusing on controlling. Remember, rewards, punishments, carrot sticks, those are very controlling things, okay? That's how we try to control people, and we need to break free from that. We really need to break free from some, from some seriously limiting beliefs about what good coaching is. And Often we are overcoaching. I would say more often than not, when I observe other coaches and I even observe my own coaching behaviors to this day, I still think I always side and I'm always leaning towards overcoaching rather than undercoaching. We've got to be able to balance autonomy with accountability. We've got to be an advocate, but at the end of the day, we still have to hold them to a high standard. Later, we're going to discuss purpose, how important that is, and that's really a key component. But you've got to start by giving them the autonomy. But you've got to connect that back to that shared vision and purpose that we're going to talk about in the next episode. If you have an agreed upon, if you have a shared vision and purpose, they're going to want to be held accountable. They're going to want to hold each other accountable. And most importantly, they're going to want to hold themselves accountable to that high standard. DC and Ryan, who've come out with some of the most important psychological research when it comes to motivation, they really moved away from categorizing behavior as extrinsically motivated and intrinsically motivated. They just categorize it as either controlled or autonomous. So the question is, what freedoms do we try to give our players, our, our team? And there's four different aspects. There's task, time, technique, and team. First off, with task, just a few ideas here. Do we allow them to decide on the type of drill or small-sided game as long as we're working on what we need to work on, I think we should be able to be flexible. A lot of drills accomplish the same thing. A lot of the different small-sided games accomplish the same thing. So can we just let them know what we need to work on and let them choose? 
When it comes to time, how can we create autonomy here? Well, I think we can ask them, how long do they think practices need to be? How often should we be practicing? Allow them to have some say in their practice schedule, which which days are their day off? Even Bob Knight used to ask late in the season, he'd ask his players, do we need a practice or do we need a rest day? Technique is the third freedom we can give them. All right? Are we always trying to be controlling of their shooting form, their swing, their throw? Or are we just teaching the key elements and allowing them some freedom and creativity in the way they play, the way they throw, the way they shoot? Or are we training them to be robots, to be this set type of player, the ideal type of player? Are we trying to force them to learn certain moves that we feel they need? Yes, some things are non-negotiable, but some things you can negotiate on. Some things can be done differently, and your way isn't always the best way. The fourth freedom is team. Sometimes it's great to have them partner up and work in groups of people that they wouldn't naturally select. I totally get that. We're trying to break down some barriers, right? really trying to make it a team. But sometimes we can be a little over-controlling with whom they room with on a trip or who they work with in a drill or who's on their, their team for a scrimmage. The reality is a lot of times when it comes to the way we do things, we design for the 15%. The 15% of people that aren't going to work hard, the 15% of people that will take advantage of the freedom and the autonomy. We need to instead design for the 85%, that 85% of people that are going to respond well and use that time well. One example is I was encouraging a coach recently to try the toughness sprint drill. This is the one where we get the team in the line, they run a sprint, and whoever is last is out and has to stand by and cheer for their teammates. And you keep doing that until you get to the final one. And this coach was like, yeah, but what about the guy that's always going to not run hard? That's always going to be coming in last because he doesn't want to work hard. I said, that's fine. Let him not get better but just focus on the other guys that are going to take advantage of that. And when you put your focus and energy towards the 85% of people that do want to step up and do want to run hard, then you will create that autonomy and you'll be calling up that bottom 15%. That bottom 15% will want to elevate. And this is the power of a player-led team over a coach-led team. Too often we try to exercise that control, but we've got to start to hand over some responsibilities to the players. We've got to trust them. We've got to stop being so controlling. The second component of an intrinsically motivated environment is mastery. Now Daniel Pink says, control leads to compliance, autonomy leads to engagement, and this distinction leads to the second element or type one behavior, mastery. The desire to get better and better at something that matters. We need to have a path for improvement, path to advance in someone's line of work. It doesn't matter what if it's sports or business. People need to see that path, and we need to present that path. I love this quote by Sebastian Coe, all right, the middle distance runner and two-time Olympic gold medal winner. He says, throughout my athletics career, the overall goal was always to be a better athlete than I was at that moment. Whether next week, next month, or next year, the improvement was the goal. The medal was simply the ultimate reward for achieving that goal. So this is critical when it comes to our instruction, the drills, and the practice environment that we create. First, we need to provide them with what uh, Daniel Pink calls Goldilocks tasks. Not too hot, not too cold. Can't be too difficult or too simple. One frustration, he says, in the workplace is where uh, there's a mismatch between what people must do and what people can do. 
When what they must do exceeds their capabilities, the result is anxiety, he says. And I love to think about this as uh, when it comes to sports, I like to make the comparison to a video game. Video games always have different levels that the player can play at. Because if the video game is too easy, the kids become bored. If it's too hard, they become bored or they become anxious and they don't enjoy the experience. And it's the same with our practice. If they're never experiencing any success, they're going to lose interest. And if it's way too easy, they're going to lose interest. So how do we get people in a deep state of work? It's called flow. Daniel Pink describes it as this. Flow, the relationship between what a person has to do and what he could do is perfect. All right? The challenge isn't too easy. It's not too difficult. It's a notch or two beyond his current abilities, which stretched the body and mind in a way that made the effort itself the most delicious reward. The balance produced a degree of focus and satisfaction that easily surpassed other more quotation experiences. Love that explanation. Another way to build an environment um, that focuses on mastery is for our players to understand why we do a certain drill. Also, I love how Anson Dorrance, the North Carolina women's soccer coach, talks about how he wanted his players not to even just understand why they were playing a certain way or why they were doing a drill or why they needed to execute a skill that way. They needed to be able to teach it. They needed to be able to verbalize it. Players left his program not just understanding, but actually able to verbalize strategies and skills. So before we wrap up this episode, I just want to give you a few more practical ways that you can create that autonomous uh, environment that has a plan and a a vision of mastery uh, for your athletes. The first is to really use a Socratic method of questioning to help them gain an understanding. Uh, Don't just sit up and just tell them on the film or the chalkboard what they need to do. Ask them questions. That helps keep them engaged. Use questions to ask them what they should have done or to self-evaluate on form. This helps them to understand and provides a deeper level of understanding and mastery that's necessary. Also, design practices that are challenging but not too challenging. We talked about that. Next, in your practice, you can allow them to run a drill. You can give them some time, even every practice, to do whatever they want, to work on whatever aspect of their game they need to work on. You still act as a resource for them. You're there to help them. They need to come in to practice with a plan or an idea of what they're going to do, but you allow them to choose. And I know for some coaches, this next thing is going to sound crazy, but I've done this every year and every year. It's a great activity is to allow them to run a practice or even to let them run a film session or create a scouting report. The benefits from this are outstanding. Even when it goes bad, even if the practice falls apart, at least they gain a greater appreciation for how challenging it is to create a practice plan, to coach up, and to teach the game. Speaking of teaching, we need to create opportunities for them to teach the game, not just help out at our basketball or basketball or soccer camp at the summer or football camp. All right, If we can actually allow them to teach, teach skills to young people, it's a great way for them to not only give back to the community or the school, to the program, but it is really teaching is the best way to learn something. Another area we can surrender some control is to allow them to speak before the games. Speak first after the games. Speak at halftime. Ask them what they see out there at halftime. Before the games. A few years ago, I allowed our guys to give pre-game pep talks to the whole team instead of the coaches giving the pep talk. The team loved hearing from their teammates way more than they enjoyed hearing from the coaches. We need to seek as many opportunities as possible to transfer the responsibilities of the coach to the players. 
This transfer of responsibilities, it may seem irresponsible, but it's also the model though that the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team has taken in the last decade and helped them return to dominance in the world of rugby. If you wanna know more about that, be sure to check out uh, James Kerr's book, Legacy. I love this topic on motivation and creating autonomy and helping them see a path to mastery. And if you want more practical tools, definitely uh, check out this week's blog. I'll be sharing some ways to create, more ways to create autonomy, moving the culture from coach-led to player-led. All you need to do is either go to thriveonchallenge.com and you'll see the blog link there, or you can go to um, in iTunes and just type in Thrive on Challenge weekly blog, and that's the audio blog version. All right, that's it for this episode. Be sure to check out the next episode uh, of part three of The Truth About Motivation, where I'm gonna really going into uh, the difference between goals and aligning purpose or mission for your team. Thanks for listening in.